Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 1 through 17 this morning. I believe that we have no greater privilege than to serve God. As you're sitting there contemplating that statement, can you think of something greater, something of a higher privilege than to serve God? We are called to be a kingdom of priests to him. We are called to minister unto him. Whatever we do in the name of the Lord is not forgotten. It's never in vain. We have no greater privilege than to serve the king. Here in chapter 9, we'll look at Jesus empowering the disciples to serve and the wannabe king, Herod, in the antithesis of the true king, trying to figure out life while he's trying to lead people. And then we're going to see the miracle of the Jesus feeding the 5,000, all these things Jesus using to reveal to them and to the nation who he was. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 9. Then he called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever does not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. For they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Notice here the first thing that we see about Jesus, and this is true of, uh, as it was true of them, it's true of us. He called them. Do you believe that God has a call upon your life? Has he called you to be his own? Do you feel part of God's family? Do you feel worthy and accepted as a child of God? So many people see themselves as sinners, and it's okay to confess that. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. But how does God see you? That's what really matters. The Bible says he calls us saints. Uh, That's pretty tough for some of us to accept, but that's how he sees us. He's sanctified us. He's set us apart from the world. We're his very own. He sees way beyond the sinful things that you've done and committed. They're all under the blood of Christ. Have you heard the call of God upon your life? You know, I think that's important, as I was mentioning about taking this time in the next month to get away as a church family. You know, God wants to develop ministry teams here. You know, you look at Jesus had 12, very small team, but they were effective. We don't have to have large numbers to be effective. 
You think of David and his 400 men, it was sort of a guerrilla warfare. They were quick and agile moves where armies are tough to move and come very encompassing sometimes. But we're called to be ministers of the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. And so that's all within the call of salvation. When God calls you to be his child, to be his daughter, to be his son, he's calling you to serve him, to serve the king. It's how God chooses to mature us. It is through serving the Lord that we're brought to spiritual maturation. I look around at the body of Christ, generally speaking, and those that are serving the Lord are the most joyful. They're the, they're the most satisfied in their walk with God. It's one of those things where you're so busy doing the do's, you don't have time for the don'ts. You're busy serving the Lord. It's better to... You know, as it were, burn out than rust out, you know, <laughs> the type of thing. But notice here, too, that he gave them power and authority. So many people don't feel that they have what it takes to be part of a ministry team. They don't have the power. Well, have you asked him for it? It's available. None of us can serve in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He gave them authority. This is what they were called to do. When God calls you and empowers you, he gives you the authority to do it. And you'll still find within yourself that you're, as Paul would say to the Corinthians, none of of us are sufficient for these things. It is in the weakness. This is why Paul could glory in his weakness because he knew that when he had reached his end, that's when God began to work through him. And so he was so busy doing the work of the Lord and he would, was beyond himself. That's when the power and strength of the Holy Spirit was there. He gave them power. He gave them authority and then he sent them. It wasn't something that they were supposed to set on. Later on, after Jesus' Death, his burial, and his resurrection on the day of Pentecost. And the great move of God was experienced by the people there. God had to allow persecution to happen because they were sort of enjoying the presence of God. They were sitting on that power. They were really were out going into Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts. Oh, this is so glorious. Sunday mornings are glorious. We can just sit here and we can enjoy each other's, but there's a job to do. We have a mission. God is sending us, sending us to preach the kingdom of God. We're not preaching Calvary Chapel. We're preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is greater than Calvary Chapel will ever be. We know this. This is a short-term mission trip. And in this command, it tells us in another place, chapter 10, actually, when he sends out the 70, that he sent them out to go to these various cities and towns where he himself was about to, to go. And so this is sort of like the ministry of John the Baptist. We have this forerunner ministry. You know, the Lord is wanting to come into this area. Little traveler's rest. Pleasant retreat road, even. <laughs> He's preparing he, to come. And so before he gets here, he sent us here. Because he himself is about to come. And when he comes, 
we're going to have a real Jesus revolution. Notice that he says to them not to worry about their physical needs. And this is something that seems to get in the way of our service, doesn't it? I like what Hudson Taylor said. You can pull it up for those that are interested. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. It's just the way it is. If God is leading the work and directing the work, then he'll supply the needs. And I think that the disciples learned that on this short-term mission trip, but they're going to get a huge lesson in the following paragraphs here. So doing the work of the Lord, as you know, and many of you are involved in it, is very rich and fulfilling towards us. It's the way we learn God. We begin to understand his ways, his purpose. We see his heart. We see his character. And it's a beautiful thing. And, and this provision that happens is the way of God confirming that he's directing, he's leading. One of the things you learn is that there's no formulas with God. I have yet to see the Lord answer my prayers the same way twice. It's just like, you like to think, well, if I just pray this way or do it this way, then boom. Nope. You know why that is, of course. First of all, the Lord is unlimited in his ability to answer our prayers. But he doesn't want us to get hung up on a method. He wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to have complete trust in however he decides to work in and through our lives. So the question that comes about in this passage is this power and this authority that he gave to them. Was it just for them? Was it just for the for early church and the apostles? That's when they, they, they're the ones that needed the power. They're the ones that needed the gifting and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But, but since the church was founded and the foundation was laid there in the first century, we no longer need the gifts for today. We no longer need the power of the Holy Spirit because we have Bible schools. We have theologians. Do you really believe that? I'm being facetious, you know. If there was ever a time that the church needs the power of God, it is right now. If it is, was there ever a time that the church needed to exercise its authority given by Christ to the church, it's now. We don't have to wait for some theological exercise to take place in our lives to serve the Lord. We have a mandate from the king. And we ought to be about his service and consider it truly a privilege to follow him. These theologians who remain in their ivory towers of theology, trying to still figure out the difference between the sovereignty of God and the will of man, still wondering how once saved, always saved really works. You can spend a lifetime going nowhere when there's a job to be done. How do you know if you're really saved? Well, I just go by what the Bible says. His spirit bears witness with my spirit. My sheep hear my voice. When you've surrendered your heart and you've committed yourself, there's a witness. Nobody, nobody has to tell you you're saved. 
you know that you belong to him. You know he, here's your prayers. There's that witness. Now, did the gifts of the Holy Spirit end with the apostles? Were the apostles the only ones that were empowered by the Spirit to do the work of the ministry? Well, it's kind of funny that Paul, some 15, 18 years later, as he began to plant churches in Asia Minor, and Macedonia and all, that he would operate in the gifts, but those churches would begin to operate in those gifts. Now, some of them sort of got carried away, <laughs> i.e. the Corinthian church. They had the gifts of the Spirit in operation, and Paul had to correct them for the misuse and their disorder in the gifts. Just because something is misused by the church doesn't disqualify its use for everyone. We see in another place where Paul laid hands on Timothy. And then later on, he says, stir up that gift that you received when I laid hands on you. Timothy wasn't an apostle. The members of the church at Corinth were not apostles and prophets. No, there is a certain truth that the foundation of the apostles, capital A, capital P, was laid in that first century. They were foundational gifts. I don't believe we have apostles today and prophets today in that magnitude. There are those who, in the apostolic movement, that think they're apostles. You know, anybody that says that they're an apostle pretty much disqualifies them being an apostle. Because it isn't what you say, it's what you do that tells us who you are. Amen? And so, these fellas were given power. So, in the ministry that God has called you to, first of all, he's called you to himself, that they might be with him, that you might be with Jesus. And then he empowers you. So you don't need to fear, you don't need to be afraid. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Well, do, we, does any, do any of us? It's called faith. Do the next thing. Well, I like A, B, C, and D all laid out. And then if I like it, I'll decide to do it. Right? We don't say that, but we sure would like that. That's not how it works. Do the next thing. Whatever God has put in your heart. Well, how do you know what God wants? It's right here. I will write my law on their hearts, which means you are engaged in a personal relationship. So if it, the starting point is get to know the Lord. Know Jesus. Know his heart. Learn his ways. You'll understand after that what he wants you to do. When you notice a need, I, I want to clue you in. If you see a need in the body of Christ, in your local church, and you become aware of that because you're perceiving it, there's a good chance you might be the one God wants to use, not in totality, but at least in part, to help meet that need. Did you ever think about it that way? You see it because God wants you to see it. And he wants you to move in that direction to meet the need. When you see someone that's poor and hungry, it doesn't take a lot of sense to figure out they need something to eat. It's pretty natural. 
And so, I believe this is important. That you recognize that you've been given power and authority to serve the king. Now, there are those who are on the outside looking in. And we read here, verses 7 through 9, that Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was being done by him, the Lord Jesus. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. And Herod said, well, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. You know, this obviously was the original Jesus revolution. <laughs> I mean, what was going on in Israel was fantastic. Thousands, thousands were turning to God, returning to faith in Yahweh. And the miracles and the power that was being made manifest and the teaching and people learning the ways and the truths of God, things that they'd never ever heard going to church were being uttered by Christ. Things the Bible says that were hidden from the foundation of the world was be, were being uttered by the Lord Jesus and people were just so excited to be in the Lord's presence. It, being around Jesus. That was revival. That was truly and true revival. People were coming to the Lord. It became even a greater movement, as we know, after the his death, burial, and resurrection in the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was really poured out upon all flesh. And some of those people had long hair. Some of them had beards. Some of them were musicians. Some of them were demon-possessed people that had been delivered. Some of them were the unwashed and the rejects of the culture and society. They were the unclean, defiled dogs of the community that Jesus and his love, God and his great mercy reached down and transformed their lives. But not everybody believed. The gatekeepers, the Pharisees, who followed the letter of the law and totally missed the heart of love that was based in the law. They used the law, as many theologians do today, to control the masses, to intimidate the people. Rather than giving them the true knowledge of God, they hide it. It's awful hard to reveal something in someone that you don't really know yourself. So how do we expect them to reveal the nature and character of God when they don't even know him? And this was the case. I'll give you an example. What were the Pharisees doing? They were interpreting the law. They developed an oral interpretation of the law, the oral presentation of the law, and they elevated that to the authority and level of the scriptures. For example, it says that God had called Israel to be a kingdom of, of priests, a holy nation, and one of the commands that the priests had was that they were to wash their hands before they went in to serve, and that's a good thing. We're not to we're to be, have clean hands and a pure heart as we come into the presence of the Lord. We're, we're not to be defiled, but we're to be undefiled and 
set apart for him. There was a symbolism there, the washing of the hands, as well as the literal washing of the hands as you begin to work with the holy things of God. And so what they would do with that command, of course, they would observe it, but now the, all the people needed to wash their hands. So now you understand why they criticized Jesus and the disciples. Why is it that your disciples eat with unwashed hands? They're not like us, holy men of God. Yeah. See, they sought to enforce the outward and not dealing with the inward, the most important part, that of the heart. And here we have this unbelieving king who just couldn't figure it out. It says here that he was perplexed. This is complicated to him. I, I can't account for how this could possibly be being, being done. He's baffled. He's consternated by this. He's full of anxiety. He was rebuked by John the Baptist and, and he had him taken out. Is this guy going to confront me? I want to see him. I'd like to see him. And it tells us in another portion of scripture about this same in synoptic gospels that he would hope to see some miracle done by him. You see, some people think Jesus is some kind of sideshow. And that's really what a lot of modern Christianity is descended into. These false prophets and liars who in their phony operation of the gifts of the Spirit, put on a show. And you've got people that are content to watch the show. They're content to be deceived by these charlatans. But when Paul came and he began to minister in the Spirit, he came in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And he did that so that people's faith would not be in men, but be in the living God. And that's why we need this, a visitation of that today. We need a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, not some flamboyant personality faking it, deceiving the people. But some have poor motives, even as Herod had a poor motive. He sought to see Jesus, but he didn't really want to meet him. I, I want to see a miracle. Ooh, is that guy's leg going to get longer? Did he really heal that leper? That dead person was raised? Whoa. I just want to see something cool. I want to see the supernatural, but I don't want to know the person behind it all. It's a scary place to be. How many people go to church just to be entertained by some flamboyant personality? It's kind of sad, isn't it? But it takes place. They're satisfied with seeing something supernatural without understanding its origin. And that can be rather scary. But let's move on to a more interesting and instructive miraculous provision in the feeding of the 5,000. In verse 10, we read, The apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. He then took them aside, went aside privately to a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. And when the day was begin to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. 
12. And he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set them before the multitude. And so they ate and were filled and 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. This is an amazing thing here when you see God do something out of the ordinary. You know, this is a report and what had happened if they come back at the end of the day uh, from their journey and Jesus is to, wants to take them aside because they're, they're spent. They've been ministering as well as himself. And it was just time to get away. I think this is something that we have to keep in mind as we serve the Lord. I spent a few days away this past week. Time, sometimes it's, you have to rest and reset. I think... Um, the, best, uh, the key to balance is uh, and to being, uh, being fresh is keeping the balance between serving the Lord and, and working hard and then taking time to rest. I don't think the Lord wants you to work tirelessly and never take a break. Uh, there's times that you need to stop. You need to pause. You need to understand your own body rhythms and observe them. He doesn't expect us to keep our hand to the plow continuously. He expects you to take time, rest, and reflect. Where are we going? Where have we been? What have we learned so far? Those are important things. It's balance is the key to staying fresh. They're all coming and going, it tells us in another place. And so it just in ministry can get crazy sometimes, the activities. Uh, case in point, what happened last in February <laughs> around here, it was pretty insane, but a lot was accomplished. While we're here... Um, there's still a lot of things that need to be done here in the building. And I've been asked, you know, well, when are we going to dedicate the building? Well, when we get a little further along in completing some of the things that need to be done. And so uh, just answer that publicly. Just pray that we can get things done. But we're looking forward to a day uh, of dedicating the, the, the building, the property, uh, as our, uh, as unto the Lord. So uh, that's that. But notice in verse 11... Uh, Jesus didn't reject the, the multitudes that came. It tells us in another place, Mark 6.34, that when he saw the people, the vast number, 5,000 people coming at you, that, that's, that's, that's intimidating. But what the Bible tells us in Mark, that he was moved with compassion. For they were sheep without a shepherd. You know, God is a very compassionate person. And Jesus reflected that. This is what ministry is all about. That we care about other people. That we have compassion for the needs of other people and their need for God. And when compassion becomes our motivation, we will see the move of God. So Jesus went out to meet the people he didn't run and hide from the people. He went out to meet them. He's about to demonstrate his love by meeting their needs. 
They were coming to him in faith. And when a person comes to Jesus in faith, he's never rejected. God never turns anyone away who approaches him. His mercies are infinite. His grace is unlimited and eternal. He, he, all those that come to him, he will in no wise cast out. He receives those who come, no matter what you have, may have done, what you have thought, what line you may have crossed, what drug you may have taken, what drink you may have swallowed. God can forgive. God can wash and clean and regenerate the worst of sinners. This is the parallel passage, and, and this miracle is mentioned in all four Gospels, but this, I love John's Gospel because this is right in the place he, the disciples told him all the cool things that were happening, and then the people come, you know, barging in and interrupting their private time with Jesus. <laughs> and, and Jesus approaches the people, and on the way there, I got this picture that, you know, Philip's like, and he fell. Uh, you, what we, gonna, we need to feed these people. <laughs> okay, really? Where um, are we going to buy the bread? I mean, and it tells us he asked Philip because he himself knew what he would do. You see, this is part of the call and, and to your ministry. God already knows what he's going to do. He's going to let you and me in on it as we are obedient in the first steps. He's called you. He's called us. Now, be with him. Hear his voice. Begin to move in the direction that you feel he's called you and anointed you to do it. He's given you the authority and the power to do it. And now, how does God want to do it? How is he going to meet you? Well, oh, he's leaving that totally up to you. Oh, no. It's not up to you and to me to meet people's needs. How can I possibly meet anyone's needs? I can't even meet my own needs, really. I am becoming a vessel by which God works through to meet the needs of others. And this is the lesson. They had learned a lesson going out on their own and doing that short-term mission. They didn't need to worry about their physical needs. God took care of that. People were healed. The demons were cast out. People received the kingdom message. And they're pretty jacked up about it. Ooh, this is pretty, man, those demons, man, they ran. You know, they're really into it. But this was way bigger. You want me to feed 5,000 people? It's a joke. Are you trying to spiritualize this, Jesus? I mean, I'm trying to figure, you know, they're probably trying to figure this whole thing out, right? But again, Jesus knew what he himself would do. And this is part of the provision and like, if you break that word down, it's kind of, it's a cool word, right? Provision. Pro means before, vision means to see. To see beforehand. God sees beforehand what the need is going to be in your life and in your ministry and all the things that are involved. He knows ahead of time. He's got it all. He is Jehovah Jireh in the Old Testament, right? He is the Lord, our provider. And we can trust him. Have you ever missed a meal? Only by choice, probably. So let's look at how this miracle is experienced. How will these miracles take place in and through our lives? Well, 
number one, I think we have to stop looking at it with natural eyes. The hour's late, Jesus. It's going to get dark. We don't want to get caught out here in the wilderness. Send them away. Besides that, we're tired. I'm sick of people, man. It's done. I need to be alone. You know, if you get real, I mean, to be honest, sometimes you just, you know, you're burnt. Your flesh. The hour's late. Send them away. I can't meet their needs. Just go somewhere else. Figure it out on your own, you know. I mean, you can really harden your heart when you get overwhelmed by the numbers and by the amount of need. But that's because you're looking at your ability to meet the need. And God never intended for you and me to meet the needs of others, to meet the needs that only he can meet. Who do we think we are, right? We're not that. He wanted to do something special with these people through his disciples. That's what ministry is all about. It's all about meeting the needs of people. So we should be asking rather than looking at it through natural eyes, saying, okay, Lord, what do you want to do here? I mean, he's got two fish and five loaves of bread. How far is that going to go? You know what it is, really? It's really a call to surrender. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't have the ability, but let's just roll with the Lord. That's really what the Lord wants us to learn through these experiences that we have. It's a test of willingness. Are we willing to surrender what he's already entrusted to us back to him? Can you give God control of your possessions? Can I give God my possessions, our finances, our time, our schedule, because my time is so very important. I'll see if I can schedule you. We're selfish, let's be honest. We wanna do what we wanna do. But when we, we're called to serve the king, we can't do that anymore. Did you ever see in the scriptures Jesus getting upset with people barging in on him? taking advantage of him, coming to him with bad motives. He didn't come to see you, Jesus. We just come to get a free meal. He's the king. He's really a handy, handy guy to have around, man. Get sick, just go see Jesus. You hungry, just go see Jesus. The guys are loaded. I mean, he can get fish out of gold on a fish, fish mouths. I mean, are we willing to yield our free time or is it ours? God is testing us. It's a lifelong test. We might do good in a period of time, but then we might get selfish. It's a lifetime test of our time, our talent, our treasure, and our relationship with serving the King of Kings. Here's the thing. We don't have to present the Lord with what we don't have. We just simply present the Lord with what we do have. And I think what sets us back is generally what we have doesn't even come close to meeting what the need might be. And we think because we don't have the wherewithal to do it, it lets us off the hook. 
I don't have it, I don't have to do it. No. That's not an excuse. It doesn't work that way. I mean, what are these loaves and these fish among so many? Well, I don't know how well you know Jesus, but his MO is to create something out of nothing. He can kind of do that. What's really amazing about this, if you're just looking at reading through it, it's like they only started out with two fish and five loaves, and they end up with 12 baskets. Now, wait a minute. I'm not really good at math sometimes, but something tells me that they actually ended up with more than they began with. How did that happen? Let that sink in about our stuff, our time, our schedule. God has a way of redeeming and giving back. If, what is it? Does, he, does not our master say, give, and it shall be given to you in good measure and in running over? I think, it, I think the baskets were running over here. So how does it, how is it that that we can clam up and, 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 and lock down and, and, and turn inward and not allow God to use us. I'm going to take the time here, and I know it's going to be stretching at some of you, but I want to look at in the Old Testament an example of what could have happened with Elijah's ministry. This is 1 Kings 17. I'm, I'm going to, I'll rush through it uh, for the sake of time. But Elijah get, gets sent to this woman in Zarephath, and she's just out gathering sticks and she's going to prepare her last meal and so her and her son can die. And he tells her, don't be afraid. Just do as you would, fix the meal, but give it to me first, which is saying, put God first with your stuff. What would happen if she didn't listen to the prophet? She would have ate the meal with her son, and she would have died. That what she feared would come upon her. Do you understand the price of disobedience? What you fear will come upon you. What if she didn't believe? What if she let her fear control her decision? Why are we afraid to test the Lord in this area? And I think this is one of the most greatest fears that we have as people. We're going to run out of stuff. I mean, you know, there's going to be a bank crash. We're going to run out of money. There's going to be a food shortage. So we're going to run out of food. And if they keep wrecking these trains, we're going to run out of fuel and all kinds of stuff, you know. And if they don't fix the, you know, the nuke plants, we're not going to have any electricity. All kinds of fears. We fuss over stuff. I'm not one that say you don't need to prepare. Those of you who've been to my house know that I prepare. I look ahead. I prepare for storms. The power does go out. We do run out of food. Other times people need food. So, she obeyed. God supplied the need, overflowing. The apostles and this boy with the fish and the loaves gave what they had, and it was more than enough. How do we experience a miracle? 
How do we experience this incredible move of God as we serve the king? Well, there's a couple things I think we'll take home with us here. First of all, as we establish order. As it's been said so well, God doesn't bless a mess. Get up in the morning, make your bed. Clean your house. Get your house in order. Live within the means that God has given to you and create the best order and cleanliness that you can have. God is a God of order. Set these people down in groups of 50. See, what order does is it brings about peace. And God operates in the atmosphere of peace. There's no pushing and shoving and grinding. It's just, he's a God of order and peace. You can also enjoy, have a lot of joy when you're experiencing peace. Wouldn't that have been fun to be a disciple going up to Jesus and he just keeps handing you the food? Jesus <laughs> coming. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun to see Jesus meet the needs of people, to see them filled and happy and joyful in the Lord. The root ministry is rewarding. The next thing that needs to happen is what Jesus did as he looked up to heaven. He did this as a man. Jesus did all these miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's looking as a man and setting an example for you and for me. We look to heaven with what we give back to God that he's already given to us and we present it to him. He blessed it. We look to heaven, prayer. We're going to see miracles because we're asking God for one and we're asking for his blessing upon it what little we have we're asking for his blessing and we're allowing him to break it to fracture it to break us to humble us whatever it takes for the power of God and the blessing of God to flow because he wants to give us away he wants to give away his blessing his presence his goodness his healing the whatever it is that the need is God wants to work through you, but he has to have broken vessels. So we look to heaven. We ask for his blessing. We allow him to break us, to make us usable, that he might give us away. See, you understand that Jesus is preparing these men. You had the short-term mission, and now you see I can do anything. I can walk on water. I can stop. I can calm the storm and the waves. I can cast out demons. I can raise the dead. Do you have any questions about who I am and my ability to work through you? This is all a learning process. Now, none of us have the faith maybe that we're going to have, but may God just let us take these baby steps in this direction. Here's the pattern. Here's, here's the example for us. There's a multitude of people out there that are outside the kingdom. They're on the outside looking in. There's a, a multitude of people that really need to hear the truth about the kingdom of God, not about church, not about some denomination. They need to be introduced to the king of the kingdom because he's coming soon. And we need to be about his business. We don't have what it takes to meet the need, but if we allow God to work in and through us, he has the wherewithal. And he has to get us in a position because 
He could do it. The angels could do it. But you know what? He wants to use you. He wants to use me. May God bless us to that end. And so now as we take this time to, to break bread, the apostles, the disciples, the end here of his ministry, they're gathered together and this is Luke. Twenty-two, where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, and it, he tells them that as they're sitting down there at the Last Supper, with great desire, I have desired to share this with you. Jesus is not excited about having nails go through his hands and his feet, but he is excited who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He knew what would be on the other side, but this prior to, to sit down with them, to sup with them, to enjoy their company, to wash their feet, to introduce something very special, the new covenant. You guys don't understand a lot of things because you haven't received the Holy Spirit. But because I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to take the nails for you. I'm going to provide atonement for you. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. And all those things that I've taught you are going to become a, a present reality in you. Are you pretty happy about this? To introduce the covenant. And Jesus said, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it and he gave it to them. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you. And behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man to whom it is betrayed. Do you understand how deep the love of God goes? How many of us could lovingly present all this to the disciples knowing that there was a traitor in the midst? That he would actually be the catalyst for all this to be fulfilled. So sometimes we have to give up our natural way of thinking and just let things play out because we know that God is in control. But again, this is what it's about. Do this in remembrance. So we're going to take this time. The guys are going to come and we're going to serve you communion. And so as we pass it out, the team's going to come and they're going to play some music here. And as we pass this out, We'll take the cup and the bread together and remember what Jesus has done for us.